Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Michigan Katkoff, and in this episode, I'm joined by Anton Krasny, who is a former founder, CEO, and chairman of Murka, which is a social casino company originally from Ukraine and was acquired by Blackstone in 2019. Now, Anton wrote four critical nevers for a founder on LinkedIn, uh, which are never trust experts, never believe in business friendships, never allow others to change your vision, and never, ever, ever underpay yourself. Now, these are some strong words. And despite these strong words, I've always found Anton to be a very empathetic person. That's why I wanted him to come on the podcast and talk about those four nevers in, in more detail, because um, I wanted him to show his personality. Uh, I think he sometimes comes off a little bit differently in a written text. And uh, I'm sure everybody who listened to this podcast can agree that, uh, that he's, uh, he's a very um, good leader. So hope you enjoy this podcast. I uh, hope you enjoy the four nevers. And um, by the way, Istanbul Gaming Summit is coming in in 30 days on 7th of March in 2024. So there's a link in the description. Do sign up. We got more amazing speakers there. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Anton Krasny. Welcome, folks, to the uh, Deconstructor of Fun podcast. My guest, as said in the intro, and is Anton Krasny, founder uh, and CEO and chairman of Morco. And Morca is a social casino company that was acquired by Blackstone back in 2019. And Anton, you recently left your position. Uh, and as most founders, you're back at building new companies. But in this, this podcast, we're going to talk about everything and anything that you've experienced during your 15, ta- 15 years of, uh, of heading Morca. So welcome to the podcast, Anton. Thank you, Misha. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. <laughs> so uh, I reached out to you because I think your LinkedIn profile is, um, as kids would say, fire. Uh, so, so you post uh, a lot of uh, very interesting stuff from founder perspective. And um, like the recent one, the one that got me reaching out to you was, uh, if I may quote, you said, uh, this, is your po- this is your LinkedIn uh, post. So if you are the founder, please remember these four critical nevers. Number one, never, never, never underpay yourself. No one will put, a, put medals on your chest for, for that in the end. You should pay yourself first. Number two, never believe in friendship and business. People will hug you, smile, call you bro for years, and then screw you most awful ways. Number three, never trust, quote, experts, especially with those whose, quote, reputation opens the door before them. Most likely, they don't know shit. There is no such thing as secret sauce. And number four is never allow anyone to change your vision. Don't let anyone else's opinion sway you from the original goals and ideas. No one knows better than you. You have the whole context. And this is all based on your hard real life experience. Anton, these are powerful words. <laughs> so um, what, what gets you writing this type of a stuff? Uh, like, I love it. First of all, my own real life experience and this kind of a reflection of what I went through and also big reflection of my state uh, during the time I made this post. So it's, uh, you can see it full of emotions. Mm-hmm. And I'm a kind of emotional person. 
Um, and also it's uh, on a negative side of things and, uh, yeah. And, um, but it's all, I, I, I still believe in, in all of that. Maybe I would change the wording if I will be doing that post today, but, uh, the, it, this post, you know, it, it attracted attention and right now we're on this podcast, I think because maybe all this post. So LinkedIn works. <laughs> well, but, well um, one, one of many, one of many. That's why I think people should follow you. So if I can just jump in a little bit and, and talk about in more deeper, like what about these four things? Uh, I'm very curious. Like, uh, why do you find it so important to pay yourself um, first and not the last? Like, where, where does that stem from? Uh, once again, it's from my own experience with business. And I always, during this uh, incredible journey, I try to, um, you know, think about everyone else except myself. And I've seen this in uh, some of the fellow um, businessmen or founders or entrepreneurs. And I found it kind of, um, um, you know, the wrong. Because, uh, as I said in my post, nobody will recognize this in the end of the day. And, uh, if I will, if I can give myself advice, uh, right now, but my past self. So if you have ability to cash out and buy nice house for your family, even if it will be against someone interest please do so if you have ability to cash out cash out yeah so uh that's kind of a uh, other side of the post always cash out if you have ability that's that's in line with uh we had on the podcast like it was a few years ago we had gigi levy vice he's um, a partner at nfx uh, venture capital from I know Israel. Him. Yeah, of course you know him because he's Platika <laughs> and social <laughs> And he made this same. We were talking more about the history of Israeli startups, how they start off with selling always the companies quickly to getting to a position where they mm. IPO'd and had these billion-dollar valuations. And he mentioned the same thing in a more different ways. So he said that the, the reason why they had the longevity with these companies afterwards mm -hmm. was because of secondaries, because they were exiting multiple times as, well, not exiting, but they were getting paid as founders, selling their share of the company as the company was growing. And through that, when they had their houses, their cars, their basics set out, they were much more invested into the long-term success of the company rather than mm -hmm. thinking I need to sell this because I don't have you know money to live. I've been poor for 10 years trying to grind this out, making sure that my employees are the first ones to get paid and so forth. So actually um, getting paid in his terms and with the example of Israeli startup system was the key of longevity and the growth of the, com of the, uh, of the companies. Yeah, it's it's interesting take. I agree, hundred uh, percent. And also, shout out to Gigi. He's an amazing person. Um, I met him, I think, in two thousand thirteen, first first time. I was uh, we were on a video call, and I would show him my early office of Murk. I just yeah, my phone <laughs> like that. Um, 
Yeah, so I agree 100%. I think it's... Uh, I never thought about this like like, like that. I mean, uh, everyone is asking why, why Tel Aviv is like New Silicon Valley. And it was uh, a lot of successful companies went from Israel globally. So, yeah, and it's, it's an interesting take. Agree 100%. Yeah, he, he even mm. went that hard. I don't remember who told me from Israel. They say every update is a secondary. <laughs> At one point, they said. <laughs> anyway, that's that's a bit different. But um, the the second part is uh, never believe in friendship and business. So this is a uh, very interesting stuff because usually when founders uh, start their companies, the first people they bring along are acquaintances, friends, buddies, people in the industry. So is this something that comes throughout the time? Or like, what do you mean by by not believing in friendship and business? Mm, I, I, I still believe in friendship in uh, business, but on more on a, a team side. If, if you have your fellow, um, you know, like, uh, engineer who is also considered your friend that's very good because you're on a different level of communication you don't need to spend time explaining things uh, um, so but uh that part of the post was more of a, let's say business business related friendship because when the 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 high stakes and when the a lot of money involved the people um, can simulate friendship very good for, 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 for many, many years. And you can fall into this simulation if you are open-minded kind person, so you can fall into that. So if, 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 if something big on the table and if people call you bro, and the more <laughs> they do, the more aware you need to be of the situation and try to be honest with yourself first. And yeah, and don't fall into this broad trap because <clears throat> when things are fine, everyone calls you bro. When things are challenging, uh, it can, you know, turn against you. So you need to call yourself bro, <laughs> first of all, <laughs> and don't listen to other people because people always lie. That's unfortunately the truth. I'm curious to hear your thought about this is like, <laughs> so I like history a lot. And uh, I was reading a book about Napoleon, not the, uh, the the one that made the movie about, but there was this thing mm -hmm. about Napoleon's leadership tactics. And he was that with his own generals, with the people who reported him, the close ones, he had a very formal communication. And with the troops, he would go out, have some wine with them, talk openly, but then go back to and like no bullshit. You report to me, like, no ass kissing. I know what's happening on the ground because I go in and, and talk to the soldiers. But then with generals, no bros. We're all here. We're, like, you report to me and I need this to be executed. Like, <laughs> going back from 1,800 to, to common days, like, is this something that is um, that, that rings somehow true to, to your thinking? Like, with the close ones, keep formal relationship? Uh is, is that something that, that you're... Yes. You're, uh, I, I haven't read the book, but uh, that's uh, that's what I... I think if I will do this now, that's what I'm trying to uh, advocate for. 
So that's that's hundred percent reflecting my understanding of how you need to build this um, business, and that's what I tried to do in Murka, but uh, I forgot about this formal part. So I tried to be uh, on a good note with everyone, um, and pay itself, let's say, and it's a pay, played a role, but maybe not uh, in a very beneficial way to myself, but uh, yeah, that's, it is, uh, uh, I always, since the, the very early days of Murka, I tried to be amongst people. I didn't have my office until I think we were, um, like until we had a hundred million dollars run rent wow. run rate revenue, so I didn't have my office. I was sitting amongst just the, among teams, close to them. And um, then, yeah, I decided to like <laughs> separate myself still, but uh, I constantly uh, try to build the, this culture of openness, and uh, everyone can text me at any time and ask something and I would, I would do my best to, to honestly give them the, my answers. Um, so and it paid itself, I think very much because even now, if, if I will, if I will ring the doorbell in one of our offices right now, I think they will ask, who are you? <laughs> um, <laughs> But still, I think my legacy of this um, openness, it still plays its role right now. Um, so even, even now, when there is, I'm not around anymore, I'm not involved in operational stuff for more than four years already. Uh, but uh, culturally, I think that's what also part of the DNA of Murka and what holds it right now. On, on, on that level. Um, so yeah, being good with your troops, spending time with them you know, on the, on the, on the field is a nice things to do. This episode is brought to you by data AI. Yes, they were called app Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fun really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing the full-on deconstructing first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. Hey game devs, are you tired of dealing with complicated payment processes all over the world? 
Well, Exola's got your back with Exola PayStation. It has a simple, user-friendly interface that makes it easy for players to pay for your games and in-game content however they want. And because the Exola PayStation user interface is adaptive and accessible on smartphones, tablets, and PCs, your players will have a seamless experience no matter their preferred device. Players can save their favorite payment methods for future purchases, and on mobile, even charge purchases directly to their phone carrier bill. On the back end, you can customize your checkout with game-specific integration options like sidebars and iframes, as well as change colors, fonts, and images to make PayStation look and feel like a natural part of your game. Ready to see Exola's PayStation in action? Visit exola.pro slash payments dash DOF or visit the link in this podcast description. Um, so this is uh, this is culturally like very interesting. Um, have playrics here on on, on the uh, on the podcast as well. They talk about very similar culture that that very low hierarchy. You can connect with the uh, with the founders anytime. And oftentimes, when people think about Eastern European companies, they, on the contrary, think about them as extremely extremely like um, hierarchical. Like you can't talk to the mm-hmm. big boss. Like they are <laughs> they are the most. And and having worked in the U.S. companies, I feel that the hierarchy is much stronger in the more uh, Western companies where it's uh, it's like a perceived hierarchy where the uh, executives intentionally pull themselves out of any kind of a conversation and want to be on almost like not take part in anything, uh, not to feel mm-hmm. opinionated, not to feel criticized. Like like it's a it's an interesting approach, and and you have the vice versa where you want to be close, you can be connected anytime. Like. What's the uh, what do you feel is the is the benefit of being so connected and so approachable to to uh, to the team? That that's a good question. Um, I uh, you know I think uh, I did it unconsciously, so I didn't have the purpose of doing that. Um, and uh, I'm a big fan of Val, uh, mm. and I'm I'm a big fan of their flat structure. In the early days of Murk, I was reading a book how our wall is operating. And uh, what was fascinating that when you join the wall, you don't have a team. All you have is just like a table uh, that you can put somewhere because it's on the wheels. And, uh, and for a few days, you're just wandering through the office trying to find the team you want to join. That's the flattest possible structure. And I think uh, what the, the benefits of this is you need to have um, like a you know source of um, of, of truth flowing to you and the more the more horizontal structure the harder it is to get the, the, the you know like a truth what's going on in your company what's going on with the products and when people feel that they are free to tell you anything and you are feel the same way. This means that you can be informed very quickly of the things that goes wrong right now, not two, two weeks after. And people don't, don't afraid to tell you this because this means that, um, you can put your hands on something that need to be put mm. hands on. So, um, yeah. And, uh, um, Anyway, I did it unconsciously, as I said, in the, in the first days, it, I was aware of how the business is operated and I, I worked 
as a manager for a few companies, and I hated this hierarchical structure where the big boss is sitting in a, in a, you know, in the office behind many doors, and nobody can speak with them. Um, I, I was trying to build something completely different than that. And uh, come on, we're also in a creative business. You need to you need to speak with people. You need to you need to make people feel free. Uh, I mean, on the freedom side, mm -hmm. and because without freedom, there is no creativity. When people feel oppressed, you know, they create, you know, like on a, on a very uh, slow and not enthusiastically. And we need something completely opposite. I've, uh, so this is, I'll, I'm just hoovering around this one because this is a very like intuitive approach, uh, but it's not something that is easily executed in companies. What I mean by that is, let's say I'm uh, like, even in my own experience, it depends very much on the cultural background of the person. Uh, you could do one-on-ones with your whole studio, for example. And a lot of the times, what would happen, at least in, uh, for me, is that uh, people from from certain parts of the world, even like Western Europe, let's say, would not be so open at, at talking about their issues and challenges to you in a one-on-one -on -one setting uh, compared to, let's say, uh, more Eastern European ones, which would be mm -hmm. <laughs> more than open <laughs> in telling you mm -hmm. in, in, in one-on-one settings. And what would be your recommendation for, for, let's say, heads of studios or founders to, to really implement this uh, openness and this feedback loop with their people? Uh, if, because even if, let's say, they are doing the one-on-ones with the whole studio, but they're not getting you know, the real stuff. People tell them, oh, everything is good, everything is fine. Everything, maybe this one more, more small thing, maybe we could have a better coffee machine, but everything else is great. And then like three months later, that person like resigns or whatever, or there's some other issue. Like, Why didn't you tell me? We had a one-on-one. So what would you tell these people who are not able to kind of penetrate this, uh, this perceived wall? Um, I would say that you need to treat people the way you want they treat you. People are not are not dumb and if you if you are lying to them on an all heads meeting uh, people could feel it they could see it and when you are trying to you know when you're one-on-one -on -one and asking uh, for the honest answers on your hard questions expecting that they will be honest with you when you're lying to them is something i think uh, what a lot of people are missing so my advice will be, you need to turn on your empathy. You need to be kinder. You need to think of what people are going through. You need to um, speak with them with, with, with open heart. And it's, it's hard in business, but when you are doing this, um, sincerely, people also could feel it and then when the hard times will come, they will speak with you sincerely and they will tell you truth. And sometimes it can save your ass. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, that, that, so that, yeah, that's, that's my advice. It's, it, it's once again, it's very hard in business with the big money involved and when, where a lot of people in your team, um, 
but at some extent I did this with Morcom. It was very hard when we passed through uh, 250 people because until then I was interviewing everyone. So uh, I did the final interview. I was involved in HR very much. I was doing hiring myself and I was trying to, you know, kind of uh, build the culture this way as we built our company from mm -hmm. Ukraine and we didn't have a lot of deep development experience, I mean, real, real experience. All the experience was uh, from the people who uh, consider themselves as a self-taught, as myself. I didn't have the universities who teach you game development. So that is why my goal was to kind of build the team of great people, great talented people, and then they become became experts uh, in, in games. So, um, and uh, until I think 250 people, I was, uh, I was trying to know everyone by name. I was trying to have a small talk with them in the kitchen. We had this open kitchen on each floor and I on purpose went there and tried to speak with people to try to understand uh, what they're going through, not only in, in, in work related stuff, but on their personal side, maybe I can help with something. Maybe I can give advice. So, but then when we overpassed the 250 people, it was really hard. So I just lost the, the, the kind of a close connection and I tried to build it on a, on a group level. So we did a, uh, constantly did a all hands meeting. I was, did a, you know, like a, a oh, like open table, uh, conversation. So people in the all hands meeting, uh, try to answer hard, try to ask hard question. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting, uh, and kind of a continue continue to build this openness culture on a, on a on a big scale is very challenging but i think somehow we managed this through this network of people inside of the team mm -hmm. try to spread this openness and uh, kindness but um, yeah the games industry is experiencing unprecedented growth with global revenues projected to reach a staggering 268 billion by 2025. But with more players than ever connecting across platforms and devices, how can your game stand out against the competition? AppsFlyer has created AppsFlyer for Games to help you unlock your player's true LTV by providing a wealth of game measurement solutions, unique industry insights, and proven best practices. Our dedicated hub is packed with innovative products, industry partnerships, and unrivaled expertise to ensure your game brand adapts and thrives. We understand that every game is unique and AppsFlyer's data-driven insights allow us to cater to your specific needs. We know that in today's evolving landscape, staying ahead of the curve is crucial. Trust in AppsFlyer for games to guide you through this exciting journey. We have the tools, the knowledge, and the passion to help you succeed in this ever-expanding landscape. Together, we'll conquer new worlds, both real and fantasy, break records, and create gaming experience that leave a lasting impact. Get in touch with AppsFlyer for games today and unleash your game's true potential. AppsFlyer for games, supercharging the gaming landscape. I wanted to talk to you about Heroic Labs. 
Building a successful game is hard enough without worrying about building your own game tech as well. Heroic Labs provides a comprehensive game stack to help you get your game into market faster and scale beyond the competition. With their Unity game framework Hero, you can cut development and prototyping time in half and quickly add social, economy, and reward systems to grow your game. Satori, the live ops platform built specifically for the games industry, lets you run live events, A-B tests, deliver dynamic content to players, and always keep your game growing. Nakama, the industry's leading open source game server, lets you develop locally, providing all social and competitive features for your game, and then seamlessly transition to their Heroic Cloud hosted service and easily scale to meet the largest of audience demands. Find out how to get started at HeroicLabs.com. <laughs> um, did you, when, when you are building a certain, I mean, culture evolves with new people coming in, and, and that's why it's very important to interview people and make sure that they're you know, fitting the culture and and evolving it to the right direction. Did you have some kind of a uh, a manual? Like Valve had a very clear employee manual. Did you approach in that perspective, or or how were you uh, steering the culture evolution to the right direction? Uh, yes, we had something like that. So we put, we made our like a values, and we put them on the walls in the office. Uh, but it's. Uh, it, it, it's it's very hard to follow this values even on your own because the business is like it's like a living organism it evolves and we are when you put the values on your wall the next day it, it may be to rewrite them so and uh, but we did it anyway and we kind of tried to crystallize our approach in, in business and hiring and products uh, in in that values, but uh, I think the, the the most valuable experience was um, your own example, as as I said previously, uh, when you are asking people to be honest with you, you need to be honest with them, and like building this honest culture was kind of a um, you know from the early days it kind of a. Um, easy for me because then you need to just hold one thing in your head when you're constantly lying to people it's very cognitive uh, uh, hard task for you so and uh, i remember very and you can you can do this only in i think in the eastern europe or in ukraine <laughs> so we had a uh, because when i told this story some someone in israel they had this brown eyes <laughs> like uh, so the, the um, in the first period of Murka, I wasn't hiring people who's who are smoking mm -hmm. because it's just a very uh, you know we counted that the engineers who smoked spent like fifteen percent out of the office <laughs> and they also smelled bad. <laughs> so and uh, one of the first questions in the interview was, "Are you smoking?" Like if people say no, then we continue. If people say yes, I was asking, are you willing to stop uh, but, like today? <laughs> and a lot of people said, I, uh, I came just because I want to stop. <laughs> and this is like a motivation for me because I want to join you. Uh, and uh, I remember the one example when I hired engineer and he said, yeah, I, I, I'm smoking, but I want to stop. And this is this kind of a um, situation. And then the, from the first, on his first day, he joined and we were on the meeting room 
and this meeting room, our like one of the first offices were mess. We didn't have the designated meeting rooms, so our meeting room was in the hall, and all the people who were coming or exiting the office went through this meeting room. <laughs> so, and the, and 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 this guy, he, this was his first day, and he he was just instantly going through this uh, our meeting room. And on the second time I asked him, where, where, where have you been? And he was like, I want to shop. I went to the supermarket and I, and it texted security. Like, uh, is this guy was smoking on the porch? I said, yes. And the next time he went through, I stopped him and I said, that's your first and the last day in the company, you're fired. And the people who were in the meeting room, they were just like, oh, you can do that. <laughs> uh, Apparently, yes, and this was kind of an example for everyone. If you want to be honest, you need to be 100% honest, and even in this kind of details. And uh, yeah, so we tried to build this kind of a company. It was very hard because when we reached once again 200, 300 people, HRs gathered around me and said, okay, we need to drop this rule. Because we we are mi we are missing hiring of really good engineers who are smokers, and said okay yeah let's do that. <laughs> so we dropped the draw. But that I think that's the only thing you can do in Eastern Europe. Because if you ask the question, I don't know, like in, in hey in UK, if you will ask personal question, you will be in trouble. But yeah. Yeah, and, and there's definitely that that context of of being fired, not necessarily because the person was a smoker, but even more because they weren't honest. And if they aren't honest about such a simple thing of please don't smoke, there's a reason why you can't smoke and we don't have smokers here. And if you don't follow that type of basic rule, how are you able to follow other more complicated rules? So I understand from that perspective. And of course, being at day one, that person wasn't very tied to the company. So, um, so it's also a show of, of that the rules apply. So, so yeah, yeah, I understand that fun time, fun times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, then, I mean, we talked about the, uh, the the friendship in business. We talked about paying yourself. How about the um, the experts? So you call bullshit on experts. Where does this come from? Um, so once again, experience. Yeah. Um, I think it was a kind of a um, thing that uh, we were missing for for many many years. Mm -hmm. I mean, being like isolated in Ukraine and building the, 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 the multinational global business. And uh, you always think, uh, try to think about uh, competitors and what they're doing better than you. And we, we were strong believers for one period of time of the kind of a secret saw thing. Someone has a, like a cookbook and they are open it daily and there was like, do that, don't do that. And you will be successful. Uh, people can have these cookbooks, but they're working only in their environment. So, and we tried many experts, um, and, uh, the, 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 with all of them, we had this funny, funny experience. 
when they came, they, for the, for the big check, they spent the, like two or three days in, 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 with the team asking really nice questions and spending time uh, near the whiteboards in meeting rooms. And in the end of the day, they said, okay, guys, it seems like you're doing everything right. And we had this constant experience uh, with experts uh, and uh, we were kind of disappointed because uh, we thought that they will give us, you know, list of advice, do that and don't do that. But uh, it seems like you know your business much better than any uh, outside expert. And uh, the people who uh, have a reputation, as I said, that, uh, you know, when uh, reputation opened the door before them, uh, th th these people are just building their own brand most of the times and they don't want to, uh, you know, even if there is a secret and they will tell you, this means that this kind of a um, image of them are ruined <laughs> because they need to constantly come to the meeting rooms and maybe two times, three times uh, listen to you and just like telling you you're doing right maybe just with some adjustment. Um, but uh, um, I, I don't believe in this expert thing uh, just because we haven't seen any experts and we've seen a lot of people and we had a kind of a bias that someone knows like a real secret. Uh, nobody knows shit. Um, <laughs> nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody knows what... No where the market is going and nobody knows any prediction. People can guess and sometimes they can guess successfully. It's because a lot of people have a lot of opinions. Yeah. Be right. <laughs> yeah, I I would agree on on the secret sauce part. That's uh that's hundred percent true. It's a it's it's I've done secret sauce presentations, but they're more like, you know, just get to get people to listen but they're inside the inside the company that i was working for talking about the other company so that they would listen like okay let me tell you how the company where i worked before uh, like what was there just kind of like aligning uh, our thinking so that i'm not just coming with these ideas out of nowhere this is how we worked at this company and i want us to work like this way so not as a consultant but more like uh like you would talk about valve like this is their secret sauce let's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let us follow the same secret sauce. But interestingly enough, like I've noticed the same thing, and and I've noticed that the biggest help when somebody comes as an outsider, it could be your investor, it could be a consultant, it can be uh, an advisor. the 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 challenges of a company, in my experience, I just want to know if this is true. Uh, the ones that I've seen are usually interpersonal or organizational, and then they bleed into the operations. But when it comes to the work itself, the uh, what they're doing, how they're thinking, how they're approaching different functions, different genres, etc., mm -hmm. seems to be universally the same. Like there's seldom these sort of a major gaps in understanding of your business, but there are something that refers back to your don't work with friends. There are organizational inefficiencies when people have interpersonal relations. And I've you know, seen in some companies where people can even get certain divisions 
in a, in a larger company for themselves just because their relationship with the founder, CEO, and so forth that don't make any sense in the holistic sense and, and, uh, and actually hurt the company as a whole. So is, is, have you seen, like, am I on something or like, what do you think? Um, so um, maybe I, 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 I didn't catch you quite well. Yeah. So um, is it possible to yeah, maybe let me, rephrase? The, let, the, let, me, let, me, let me put it this way. Um, there's, so there's seldom help from consultants or experts mm -hmm. of a specific genre, let's say social casino, who would tell you mm -hmm. how social casino is done, even though you work in social casino. Mm -hmm. But I found help with people who are looking at your organization from mm -hmm. third perspective and giving you mm -hmm. help on how you organize yourself rather than how you do your business. Mm -hmm. um, that's... Uh, I've, I've seen this, but also I've seen that the people are trying to wrap really simple things in a very complicated way, like uh, they are, like for example, if you are doubling in headcount, you need to rework all your process. This is a very simple thing, and uh, I haven't thought about it until I heard someone tell me, maybe it was even Gigi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but people can build a separate business just on this simple principle. They can be consultant, they can come, see your org chart, try to build the processes. But that, in the end of the day, it's a very simple thing. So I believe in, and uh, don't get me wrong about this the secret sauce and expert thing. Yeah. I also seen many uh, experts who were, and I think usually it was not part of the official part of the expert sessions, but more of a just like a, in the kitchen uh, thing. When the people drop something really, really interesting, and it was kind of a secret sauce, let's say, uh, for example, we had a very nice conversation with Joe Kaminko. Mm -hmm. I don't know, do you know him? No. So the, he, he's an expert in social casino. Uh -huh. he, I think he built, he was part of the Zynga, I think until now. And uh, in his uh, early days, he built half of the pinball machines in US. So he was a pinball machine designer. Mm -hmm. he's, he's an amazing person. And the, uh, we were um, in Dnipro and he told me like really tiny thing about the slot machines, about the particular like very small things that you haven't thought about uh, and you can implement this really easily. And we did it and it worked. So, but it was not a part of the session. It yeah. was not part of the, it was just like a small talk thing. So. Um, when people, once again, but the people out of their framework, when the people are kind to you, when the people are sincere, they can drop some secret things. Uh, but if you are in the framework of this meeting room expert yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, consulting session, it's more of a just wrapping simple things in a very complicated way. So people are confused. Um, but, Makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah makes sense i was just i was i was trying to find like the uh, the middle ground because i know that a lot of people 
who have consulted or have you know advice in some ways kind of like no i'm i'm useful and so forth so so now i understand a little bit more your thinking like these sort of a formal here i'm coming in with the playbook that i'm sharing with everybody and this is yes. some kind of a secret yeah yeah that's a that's a playbook that is shared everywhere it's sold to everybody you're not getting anything unique but if you're interacting with different advisors in a more casual setting or or um, you know having them visit your studios and kind of spend some time with your teams maybe there in the informal ways when when you can ask freely and have conversations you can get something out of it would that be yep. okay all right that, that's i agree with you. yeah <laughs> well the uh, the fourth point was never allowing anyone to change your vision i think this is a very very interesting one because there's I, I feel like there's almost um there's like a demand for two different types of leaders almost like it's divided in into two there's demand for the steve Jobses of the world the elon musks who are like like laser focused they're at the forefront they are at the uh they know what needs to be done they have the clear vision and you can either help with realizing this vision or you can get the fuck out of way and <laughs> and then there are uh, those that I feel like is is more um, celebrated these days are, you know, the word inclusivity seeps into everything mm -hmm. and everybody has to be heard and everybody has to have the opinion and everybody has to be a pro a brought, a brought into the journey. And those are v mm -hmm. two very, very different ways. And I'm not saying which one is bad or good, but what, what are you uh, trying to say when, when, you as a CEO, as a founder, have has to have the vision. Is it like like what do you mean by that? Um, uh, first of all, I agree with that. There is, I think, two different approaches, and uh, I think it, that they just you, you need to understand who you are and your strengths and weaknesses, and if uh, the product in 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 our sector is a primary. So that's the number zero, right? So if you have a product vision and you 1 million percent believe in it, um, you can listen to people with this own inclusivity. You can gather around different opinions, uh, but and, and at some point something can tick inside of you. It's like, oh, it makes sense. It can influence your product vision if you agree with this, but if you don't agree with what you're hearing from experts, from um, anyone, but you kind of are forced in some way to change your vision or to adjust it, please don't. Yeah, because if you are this kind of a person, if you have a la laser beam uh, out of your head and you, you believe in what you're doing and just try to like Ted Lasso was saying, believe it until the end, um, and, and, and built this, uh, everything around this. So, but if, if, if you understand that you don't have product vision and it's okay, uh, you can build businesses without product vision. You can gather a great team around you. You can organize them. You can give them, let's say their direction and they will build product vision for you. But for me, it just doesn't work. Um, and the old, all the times that I kind of, uh, trade with myself on this, it was, uh, 
not a mistake, but uh, it was a wrong direction from, for myself. So that is why that's the, the basis of that part of the post. So if you have a crystal vision of what you are, what you are trying to bring on the market, what you are building, just go to the end with it and try to, um, just try to spread it, try to tell people why you think that, that that's the right thing. Mm. But once again, if someone on the team, and I did it many, many times, so uh, I think I kind of a complicated person in the product when, the, when there is question about product, but when someone is giving you advice, you kind of a bias because it's your idea, you want to build it, but if someone is bringing something on the table and it really, you know, just like reflects mm -hmm. on your maybe hesitation in your mind, you're like, yeah, that's the right thing. We need to do that. And your product vision, you change and everything is uh, going on and everyone is happy because people also try to, um, if, if they believe in this small part of the, of the product and they believe that that's the, the thing we need, that's great. That's what the companies needed. If someone from the team one of the founder who are not the shareholder bringing something valuable. That's, that's the amazing, it's amazing moment in time. Cause yeah. Just... Yeah. I, I, I do agree with, with this quite wholeheartedly. I think I've, I've personally had this challenge as well is because it, 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 you have to be pretty bold to, mm -hmm to take the ownership of the vision. Like usually it is expected, but nevertheless, it's so much easier to, to, uh, to democratize the vision, get everybody's opinion, buy-in, add this, add that. And like, we all believe in this. This is our thing. And, and then it becomes watered down because now everybody had a say in it. And it's not really what you're driving for, but it's much easier to, to just, you know, be a, like this shared thing. So mm -hmm. I think that is something that, that makes it quite common these days that the vision is less concrete and less uh, tied to the, uh, the leader. And, and, um, and also the other part is like, I feel like the founders who have this strong vision, um, very, you know, and are quite strong leader, like not necessarily able to work with every, everybody, but they just want people who support them. Um, they are vilified nowadays more like they are hard to work with and toxicity is the number one term that is thrown around like a like a salt and pepper on, on everybody and everything just because mm -hmm. you feel like it's toxic because you are unable to do whatever you wanted to do and like like what would you say you know when I, when I was a CEO I, I had different CEO advisors as well and I had some successful CEO advisors who always said, like, do you, like, do what you feel like, be like exactly what you're saying. So what would be your advice to, to the founders and the CEOs who feel the pressure of letting go of their vision and kind of bringing more people along and democratizing and reading the books that tell them that they need to be inclusive leader? Uh, like, what's, what's your advice for them? Or like, how were you able to keep your vision so strong? Mm -hmm. I think communication is the key. Yeah. Because of what, where, from where all this toxicity, toxicity things go in, because people just don't understand. They don't have a full picture. They don't have a bird view. And in, in, in many cases, the only person who has a bird view is the CEO. 
And so my advice will be to try to find the right words, right setting to just deliver the, the message to the people who needs to hear something. And even if you're fighting on the vision, I mean, on the product vision, try to find the, the, the right framework, let's say, to, to describe what you are thinking about and why this is the truth. So try to build this kind of a hierarchy of the things that crystallize in your vision, because you are, you're full of context. Right. You, you, you've been with the company from, let's say, my experience, you've been with the company from the day one when you were first employee. So you've seen shit. You know everything from many angles. And uh, and people tend to think that they, they also know some things. And that's true, but for that's just for the one segment of, 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 of something. And you have the full, full picture. So try to communicate try to build uh, on or improve your communication skill because uh, it's, it's, it's really hard when you're trying to deliver vision because words are kind of a, you know, just um, can describe your thoughts so uh, really well. So sometimes the people hear what they want to hear or, and they are biased with their own ideas, with their own beliefs. So try to sit and um, sincerely convince people just through the, through the dial. So that's, but also once again, be honest with yourself. So try to, to try to be as much clear uh, with you, with you, with your own vision and with your own beliefs and, and try not to shape them. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, yeah. it's uh... <laughs> It's like, these are all good advices, but it's very hard in, in the day to day. Like when, when these challenges come in front of you, it's, it's hard to keep them in mind. When, when you were the CEO and the founder, did you have advisors and how did you work with those advisors? Um, you mean in, internal or external? Both, both like, like how, how, because even though you write in a very, um, confrontational way in a good way aggressive like default aggressive confrontational discussing with you you're a very calm very conversational person very smiling person so uh, <laughs> how were you um like like that what i'm trying to say is like you're you're not a bulldozer you clearly want to talk to people want to get people on your side and how were you how were you able to keep your stance and your vision um like who were the people you were talking to and, and how did they affect, like, especially advisors, usually advisors are the ones who you trust, um, people in the industry or, or your investors, and you can, you can kind of be very open with them and they can help you to formulate your message and your opinions. Like, did you have that type of advisors or was it more internal work or was it the work with your leadership team? Like, how did you, how did you find the conviction in your visions and in your beliefs? Oh man. I tried to to um, had a conversation with external advisors, let's say, on a different level, and in in, in some way it uh, helped, but just a little in 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 my own experience, 
and most of the time, uh, um, if I may so say so, like internal advisors is your is your generals, right? Is your is your top managers who are you spending most of the time with in in, in meeting rooms, in in conversations, and um, once again, I think our culture paid all here, and our more friendship-like and family-like um, teams uh, work great because everyone could say anything during these hard situations and this just saves you time and money in the end of the day. So mm, there is nothing like a secret here. We try to build this on all the levels uh, with, with, the, with the people and I think when you are when you're honest with your general, right? Let all we'll continue this Napoleon uh, uh, dictionary, right? <laughs> when you're honest with the with your generals, they tend to be honest with with, with their soldiers, and so on and so on. So, um, for us, and for my experience, that was the key. So um, this internal advisors, the stuff when people really feel the situation and they feel that they can influence it and bring some value, they did. And when this paid off, when they saw that what they suggested implemented tomorrow and brought something good to the company or to the business, the day after, mm-hmm. the, that's, the, that's the whole point. That's, that means that your business is working, that your culture is working. So openness and uh, honest uh, approach, that was my uh, experience, but maybe it's not true for anyone. So, because it really depends on what people are around. And uh, I think and try and getting to know the culture, different culture from the inside out right now, I think it's it's not going to work, for example, here in UK or in the US, it's not going to work, in my opinion. So it's just different culture. It's a look and feel culture and uh, not the truth culture. <laughs> well, well, with that in, in, in mind and, and like different cultures and different companies at different stages, do you think that there are some essential qualities a founder CEO should possess when leading a company to success. And do those qualities change along the stage, like from the early startup to a scale up to a mature phase? Like, do you, do you believe the same um, CEO qualities should uh, are applicable to all phases or do they, you know, do the requ- like the qualities change? I think some of them are useful all over the way, like uh, um, risk tolerance. Because sometimes the only person who can truly risk is the CEO. And uh, uh, I think that's one of the important qualities. Resilience also helps. You need to be strong physically, mentally, uh, all over the way. Um, also, I think the, the best HR in the company have to be CEO. So the CEO is really HR position. So you need to have 
high hiring skill. Also on the early stages of startups, uh, I think that's my opinion. You need to aim to the break even as quickly as possible, because that's what one of the, one of the diseases of, of startups. So Murka was profitable all from the, from the early days, every, every turn, every quarter. We have been profitable, so that's kind of where we achieved this as a team. So it's very important. Uh, and when you have this, things become much more easier all the way down. Um, also, hmm, uh, understanding your audience better. If you if you are if you're working on B2C site, right, if you're doing product for the for the audience, I think you need to understand audience much better than anyone else in the team. And I did this by doing support myself. I mean, I was reading the reviews of our games, like uh, I was addicted to that. So my my day started from reading reviews and trying to understand what people behind these reviews, because when the, the, some, some lady in Iowa telling you something like really useful for about your game, like, like, you know, two paragraphs, and this means that she's onto something. So she had this, she decided to spend time telling you about your product. And so try to think about this as, as, you know, as a, as a CEO, try to, 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 to just support uh, users. And I think the CEO can do it really better and he can feel, you know, he can do gather like a field data, right? So he can be on, uh, put his hands on, on the first line. And, uh, I think it's a very good quality if, if people can do that. Mm. What else? Yeah. But I think that's <laughs> awesome. So uh, risk yeah. tolerance, resilience, being the, uh, the first people manager or the, uh, the HR aiming from pro for profitability from the get go. I think this is one of the key elements because profitability gives you autonomy and autonomy allows you to build on your vision. If you are not profitable, you need more funding. If you take more funding, you bring in more people and give them stake of your company. And if you bring more people with a stake in your company, that means they get a part of the vision. And the bigger the part, the less vision it will be yours and the more vision it will be theirs. And then in the end, you'll be working for somebody else. Yes. And by the way, but you know, it's easier to tell this story when we started in 2009, 2010, where when you can spend half a million dollar building two, three games, testing it with the, with the marketing even mm -hmm. today, if the, it started from 10 millions, I think to do that. So today is much more challenging environment to, to implement these advices, but anyway, you need to aim on the early profitability as much as possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's way, if you put in that as a target, you can start working for somebody else as a, as a, as a partner, you can aim at different genres where you can find those ways a little bit faster. Uh, but, but I think it's just overall very important and something that 
that I think during the last 10 years, company totally forgot about. That profitability is actually a key for any type of a company <laughs> to, to be valuable. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of unprofitable companies nowadays. <laughs> and then the, uh, the final part was very interesting is the understanding your audience better than anybody else. I've seen this not being the true in most big gaming companies. Like the CEOs are mainly just talking to, like they are just managers of the leadership team uh, but and managers of the key stakeholders in the board, even mm -hmm. more so than they are um, users of their own products. And usually the founder CEOs are the ones who have been in this genre forever, <laughs> like, whether it is like those, you know, renowned AAA studios or whatnot, it's like they are the, uh, the key people there. So um, that's a very interesting point. Well, Anton, thank you so much for the uh, for hopping on on the podcast to discuss the uh, the, the four <laughs> nevers uh, of a, of a founder CEO. <laughs> it, 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 it was pleasure. One hour went very quickly. Yes, <laughs> but we just like half an hour in, um, but it was a pleasure. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I'm glad to do that. Uh, another time yeah <laughs> so definitely most definitely um i wanted to just end up on what are you doing right now what are you working on and uh so that the listeners can can hear more about it and um for all the listeners by the way uh, there's going to be link to anton's uh, linkedin page i think you should follow him he's uh very unfiltered but as you can hear through this podcast he's very thoughtful and kind person <laughs> That's true. But I was filtered recently, so um, yeah, I need to. I think the style of my post will change a bit. No, 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 no. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, thank you for the for the PR. <laughs> um, yes, it it it, it is really a pleasure, and uh, and also uh, I think uh, maybe we'll try to. Um, to be more, um, you know, like uh, precise with my advices later uh, in my post, <laughs> um, to be more applicable, to become an expert. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe share a secret sauce at some point. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I, but actually, yeah, I wanted to share a, 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 a secret uh, on your podcast in mm -hmm. the end for the, for, for the listeners who are, who are in the end. So yeah. It, from my observation, from from all these experts with the MBA, from the top-notch managers, they, uh, as I said before, they try to wrap really simple things around in the complicated way. And oh, what I found, the simple things that I want to share, so there is no secret sauce, but some secrets. So uh, if you look on your business and try to understand what's moving the needle in your business try to do this or this more uh, i mean at some point we thought that there is a no secret sauce but when um when we heard like what's bringing money in your in, in your business and the answer was live ops right and uh, the, the 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 next question was uh, how many of the live ops you are doing like we're doing a hundred live ops. Okay, can you do three hundred live ops? And the, 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 
and, and it was a, like a secret sauce. And the, and the, 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 the wicked answer was no, we can, because it's very complicated that the process was, was collapse, will collapse. But in the end of the day, we made 200 of live ops and this kind of improved the top line significantly. So the secret <laughs> for the, all the listeners, look on your business, understand what moving the needle and try to do all this more. Uh, that's really simple, but it's very effective advice. And uh, answering your initial question about the, the new things, uh, I, 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 I'm in love with the games. So, and that's my main skill. I'd, I'd like to do new games. I'd like to innovate on this and try to combine and combine things. So, uh, I will continue to do this. Uh, so my, um, my next thing is very early to, to speak about it. I'm into that, but it's very early to share something. So, but definitely you will see some of the games that I will put my hands on later. Also, there won't be social casino at any way because I'm tired of this. Um, and also I spend a lot of time in 3d printing now. So it's on the opposite side of the, of the world, let's say. And, but I, I co-founded and, um, invested in a company that are building the 3d printer machines and we are building the medical devices. We are building part of the rockets. We are building a lot of interesting stuff so that you can read about it on my LinkedIn. I also will share something and maybe it's not relevant to the audience, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, excited um, to, to, uh, to see what, what you make next apart from the other 3d printing stuff. And, um, always a fan of your LinkedIn page and always a fan of people who are very, you know, bold in their, in their statements and in their opinions because they come from a heart and, and, um, and thank you Anton so much for, for joining the podcast and thank you everybody thank for you, listening. Misha. Hope you enjoyed this. All right. Bye-bye everybody. Thank you very much. Bye.